Some of you probably will be shocked to hear this, but as a kid, I was always just a little bit awkward. I really liked science, studying nature. I was really good at math, and the taller I grew, the more uncoordinated I became. Some would have said that I was a, a nerd. But, you know, I never liked that word. I, I preferred another word, a word I've used in the past to describe myself, which is goofy. Now, goofy sounds like a lot more fun, and being goofy seemed to me like a, a conscious decision and not a label that was put on me. Well, by high school, I was convinced that goofy wasn't going to impress the girls. So I tried to be cool. I started hanging out with the jocks. Every morning I would blow, I had hair back there, I'll say that first. I blow-dried my hair to straighten out its waviness. I wore silk shirts and had tinted glasses. I did grow up in the disco era. But you know what? No matter how hard I tried to be cool, I could never master the art of it. And so many years ago, I decided to stick with what works. And for me, goofy works. Well, part of that being a goofy kid was actually demonstrated by my fascination with stars. You see, I loved astronomy. As a very young child, I bought my own telescope with my own money, and I would stand outside in the winter when it was freezing while looking at the planets Mars or Jupiter or the Great Orion Nebula. I read astronomy books and magazines. I was so into astronomy that my fourth grade teacher had me teach the astronomy section of our science class to our entire class. Now I have to tell you something. The fourth grade girls were really impressed with my astronomical knowledge. The thing is, is they just did a great job of not showing it. And just like those fourth grade girls, I could tell behind the mask of all the ladies present today that you are also so impressed. Well, to further impress the ladies and maybe to convince everybody that I really am goofy, we're going to talk about stars to start off this morning. One of the most beautiful collections of stars visited, visible to the naked eye on a clear wintered night is the Pleiades. This cluster of stars is also known as the Seven Sisters for the seven easily seen stars with the naked eye in that cluster. That's them on the screen up there. Now, without a telescope, they resemble a miniature little dipper. But with a telescope, you can soon realize that there are more than seven stars in that cluster. And well done photographs like the one up on the screen reveal something that might look just a little bit unusual. See, the stars seem to have this extra glow kind of around them. Uh, professional astronomers believe that the stars are actually passing through an interstellar dust cloud. And the light of the stars is reflecting off the space dust, and it makes that dust glow what looks to be around those stars. Pretty cool, huh? Well, I'm not finished. I got a couple more examples of, of how glow can reflect light. Sit tight. Most of us have been to a concert where stage, light or fog light, uh, stage lights or fog machines are in use. And the, the fog created for those concerts consists of small liquid droplets that reflect the stage lights just like the star's light is reflected by the dust. It creates a really cool glowing effect like the ones that are on the screen right now. 
And I've got one last example of glowing reflected light, and it's something that we've all seen. It's airborne dust and water droplets. When the sunlight comes through a cloud just right, you can see that light reflecting off of the dust particles and the water droplets that are suspended in the air. And I don't know about you, but I always think of heaven when I see a picture like that or see a scene like that. Well, I didn't share all this intriguing information just to convince you I'm goofy, although it may have worked for those of you that don't know me well. The actual reason why I mention all this glowing dust and water drop stuff is because it represents something that can happen in your neighborhood this summer. You can be the glowing dust in your neighborhood. In other words, you can light up your street. As Pastor David mentioned, we finished up our study of the Gospel of John last week. And for a moment, though, I want to take you back to John's Gospel. Because in John 1, we read these famous words about Jesus. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John added a few verses later, he said, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then later in John 8, Jesus stated, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus is the light. But Jesus also calls us, his followers, the light of the world. And it kind of sounds confusing, but it really isn't. Jesus is the, the true light. We have the honor of reflecting his light. We are Jesus' representatives. We are his glowing dust. Paul called us Christ's ambassadors. To be an ambassador is a big responsibility. It might seem a little bit overwhelming, but we have to remember we don't do it alone. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to strengthen us. In three short verses we heard from Matthew 5, just a few minutes ago, Jesus shows us how we can light up our neighborhoods. First, we light up our neighborhoods simply because of who we are. It's a result of our identity. We are children of light. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Did you catch that? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And even though Jesus uttered those words 2,000 years ago, those words still apply to us. He was speaking directly to you and to me. In 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, it says we are children of light. In Ephesians 5.8, it says we are light in the world. In 2 Corinthians 4.6 speaks of the light of Jesus shining in our hearts. And if you think about it, that's a lot of light. But let me ask you this. What do you think it means to be the light of the world? It sounds, again, more complicated than it is. Being the light of, world, the light of the world begins with our identity. We belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the joy of the Lord. We are new creations. We are saved. We are adopted children of God. We have a bright future, eternity in heaven. And God has a plan for us. And you know what? We are loved. 
being the light of the world is who you and I are actually to the very core of our being. We didn't earn it. Through faith, it was given to us. And because of who we are, we naturally bring the light of Jesus to the people around us. Think about our Christmas Eve candlelight service. It's always my favorite service the entire year. We each hold this little candle. That little candle provides just enough light for us to read the words to the Christmas carols we're singing. And and in one sense, we're like that little candle that we hold. We are light. We're not nearly as bright as Jesus, but our little lights, they light up a room. It's bright enough to read by. It's bright enough for people around us to see us. It's bright enough for us to see those around us. It's enough light to remove the darkness. It's enough light to illuminate the truth. We bring, we are called to bring the light of Christ to our little corner of the world. Or maybe think about it this way. Since Jesus is the the true light of the world, maybe our light is like those glowing faces on Christmas Eve. Jesus is the candle, and his light reflects off of us. We reflect his image. Either way, we are beautiful when we let Jesus shine through us. But we have to let Jesus shine. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 5, 14. He said, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the entire house. Jesus' reference of a city on a hill was easily understood by his original audience. A city on a hill can be seen from miles away. Ancient cities were also often built of white limestone. And this meant that in the bright sunlight, they gleamed. They stood out. They were difficult to miss. And at night, the oil lamps of the people living in the city made it visible from miles away. They were a beacon of light to a weary traveler. The city might have represented the safety of home. The fact is, you can't hide a city on a hill. But Jesus also spoke of a lamp. And we all know you can hide the light of a lamp. Jesus said you, could, you don't put a basket over it, but we can cover it up. The light's still there, but nobody can see it. And that's exactly what we sometimes do as Christians. We hide the light of Jesus. Sometimes we're afraid to let people see Jesus in us, and it really doesn't make sense. You have to wonder why we wouldn't want our faith to show. And the fact is, maybe it's because we don't really believe that we are the light of the world, that we are the light of Jesus. We aren't worthy. We don't have the ability. We haven't gone to seminary. We haven't studied the Bible that deeply. Others, other people, they can let Jesus' light shine, but, but not us. We, we don't feel we're supposed to draw attention to us, and the fact of the matter is it's simply not true. The truth is, is that letting our light shine can be very easy. It can be accomplished with a, a very simple method. In fact, there's only one step that's required. 
the method to sh- let Jesus' light shine is our good deeds. And that's it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. We're saved by faith through Jesus Christ. It isn't by being a good person. Our good deeds don't save us. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to do good deeds. Our our good works prove who we are. They prove who we belong to. Our good deeds help other people, including our neighbors. As Christians, our good deeds show our faith. Our good works show something of Jesus to others. Now, I've mentioned this before, but the the street where Mary and I live has this neighboring thing down pat. Mary and I are blessed to live on this street. I just want to share a few things our neighbors have done. You know, just a, a, a week and a half ago, we had some sun, and my neighbor was teasing me yesterday because the day, our sun, we had some snow, excuse me, we had some snow, and my neighbor was teasing me because before it snowed, I cut my grass, and then it snowed. And it wasn't much, but that snow kind of reminded me of snowstorms in the past. And a few years ago, we had a really big snowstorm. And several of our neighbors formed a snow shoveling brigade. They shoveled every single driveway on our street. Rob and Dan once helped me cut down a tree that had been damaged by a storm. Of course, it was an excuse for them to get out their chainsaws. Linda and Tom videotaped our son Adam's wedding. Rick helped me move a large aquarium out of my basement. Patty shares her awesome desserts with her neighbors. Cindy frequently watches a neighbor's dog while they're on vacation, and she also lets me tease her incessantly and always keeps smiling. Kathy lets Rob park his motorcycle in her garage. Tara and Gina are wonderful. Their daughter gives away her homemade snow cones. Emily brings me chocolate chip cookies. I've talked about Emily before. She is special. Our neighbors are always smiling, waving, ready to talk, but also ready to listen. And they present just a few ideas of how we as Christians can light up our neighborhood for Christ. You could probably come up with another five or ten ideas on your own, and and I would also guess that many of you are already doing similar acts of kindness. You're serving your neighbors, and all I can say to that is keep doing it. Now, some of us may be unable to do the physical things I mentioned. But I got another idea. Sit with a neighbor. Listen to them. Be with them when they're having a tough time. The more you serve your neighbors, the more likely you will have opportunities to share your faith with them. So I've got a challenge for all of us today. And I challenge each one of us this morning to commit to performing a neighborly act of light this week. Make that commitment. And then email me or tell me about it. But if you do that, I, I do have two suggestions. The first one is this. Don't offer to shovel snow for your neighbor this week. They will see right through your fake neighborliness. And then second, please don't cut down a neighbor's tree unless they ask you to do it. 
might get you in trouble. In Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, Jesus said this. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. When we serve our neighbors through our good works, we're not only bringing light to our neighborhood, we are demonstrating our love to Jesus. And that's our goal. That is our ultimate motivation. We are to glorify God. Now, before we get into how we glorify God, though, I need to talk talk about two different types of, of motivation. And these two types of motivation come from the Art of Neighboring book that we studied a few years back here in this church. And the first is that there are ulterior motives. And when we speak of ulterior motives, it means the person is up to something. Ulterior motives are often used to manipulate a person, to get them to do what we want them to do. When we have an ulterior motive, we might be intentionally hiding something. And, and so when, when little Tommy cleans up his room without being asked, his mom might be su- suspicious. What does Tommy really want? Or when a husband sends flowers to his wife for no apparent reason, her first thought might be, what's he done now? Or when my son's dog Penny snuggles up to me on the couch, it might look like she is showing her affection, but I know better. She either wants to be petted or she wants food, and often she wants both. We can have an ulterior motive even if our intentions are good. And it does happen with neighboring. If we love our neighbor just so we can share the gospel with them, that's an ulterior motive. And it's not the best way to be a Christian neighbor. Now, you might be wondering... Did the pastor just say that we shouldn't befriend someone to tell them the life-saving truth about Jesus? That's not exactly what I said. Let me explain. We shouldn't make friends with our neighbors for the sole purpose of converting them to the Christian faith. Of course, as Christians, we want them to come to faith. But if that becomes our main or our sole motivation for the friendship, We're offering them a friendship with strings attached. And when that happens, people become projects. And when people are projects, we're tempted to give up on them if they don't eventually come to faith. And there's also something else that can happen when we make a project out of a person. It happens when that project person becomes a Christian. Now you'd think at that point the friendship would grow deeper and stronger. And sometimes it does, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we 
move on to the next project. We neglect that last project person that became a Christian to focus all our time and energy on our new project person. And I've seen this happen. And it's unintentional, but it's hurtful. And if it happens to us, we we feel used. We doubt that that friendship was ever for real. Ulterior motives are typically uncovered. And when they are, damage is done. But there's a second type of motivation that is much better. It's an ultimate motive. When sharing Christ is our ultimate motive, there is a subtle and yet very important difference. Jay Pathak and Dave Dave Runyon wrote this. They said, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. In other words, what he was saying is we don't love our neighbors to make them Christians. We love our neighbors because we are Christians. The neighbor that comes to know Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that is our hope. We long for that. And yet the truth is, we love people, period. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor until it's clear they will never come to Christ. No, Jesus simply said, love your neighbor as yourself. Your atheist neighbor they may never come to Christ. But you're still their friend. The Muslim family that lives next to this church may always be Muslim. And while we would hope with everything in us that they would open their hearts to Christ, if they don't, it doesn't change how we treat them. We continue to welcome them to our children's and other events. The guy in the apartment across the hall may glaze over when you say anything to him that remotely reveals your faith. But you're still a good neighbor to him. And the reason that we stick with people is because our ultimate motive is to glorify God. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds are meant to bring glory to God. Our prayer is that people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that they too will glorify him. But beyond that, our actions in themselves are meant to glorify God. 1 Peter 2.12 states this. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And glorify God. Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica. He said that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. We've been using the New City Catechism for our confirmation classes in recent years. And it's kind of a combination of the Westminster and Heidelberg Catechisms. And the the fourth question from that catechism is, how and why did God create us? And the answer, it's up on the screen there, it says God created us, male and female, in his own image, to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his 
glory. To glorify God is to remember our identity as children of light. We point people to our perfect, loving, holy, just, merciful, powerful, and caring God. To glorify God, we light up our neighbors, neighborhoods for Jesus Christ. We love our neighbors. We make an effort to get to know them. We seek to be a good friend. We do nice things for them. We stick with them over the long haul, long haul even when loving them isn't at all easy. We listen to them, and we hope to share part of our life with them. And because we love our neighbors, we tell them about Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. We let our light shine to the glory of our Father in heaven. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you taught us how to love through your Son. Jesus loved us with a love that we can't comprehend. How else could Jesus from the cross say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do to the very people who crucified him? Jesus summarized all the commandments into two that were to love you, God, with everything in us and that we're to love people. And Father, we know it's not always easy to love people because we know that there are so many times that we're not very lovable. We confess that whether it be in our neighborhood or sometimes at work or with an association of friends that we cover up the light of Jesus. We go along with the ways of the world. Father, we are sorry. We have been given the greatest gift in your Son. It's a gift that needs to be shared, and so as we serve others to glorify you, we also share the truth about Jesus. Father, we don't save them. Your Son saved them. They, they need to put their trust in you. That's between you and them. But we live out our lives and we speak the words of truth and of love and of grace in the hope and the desire that we will be used by you to reach out to our neighbors. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name, and we close our prayer by praying in unison what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, please stand as the band comes up.